This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I'm Tara McCausland, and I want to welcome Carl Durst onto the podcast. Thank you so much, Carl. Yeah, glad to be here. And I recognize, as I said before we started, that we're talking about some tender things today. Um, so this takes some courage and some vulnerability. But I know that people will be blessed by hearing your story. Oh, thank you. So to start, would you uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, sure. I grew up in the big metropolis of Rigby, Idaho. Uh, one of six children. My dad was a principal, elementary school principal. My mom was a, a math teacher for middle school. So education was always important growing up. Um, after I graduated from high school, I went to BYU for a year. Then I served a mission in Brazil for two years. I uh, came home and about two years later, I met my wife, Mindy. Um, after graduating from school, we went to Chicago, uh, continued some school there. That's where our first son was born. Um, we then moved to California. That's where her family was from. We lived there for about 11 years and we had two more boys there. And then through, uh, foster care, we were able to adopt a little girl. So we have four kids. We then moved to Milwaukee for about seven years. Uh, my wife's sister moved there. She convinced us to move from sunny Southern California to Milwaukee. So that was a huge adjustment for our family, but, uh, we enjoyed living out there. And then moved to St. George last August. And uh, uh, as far as our family goes, we love anything that has to do with water. We love the beaches. We love snorkeling. Um, we're scuba certified, so we love to do that. We love boating. Um, and since moving to St. George, I've started hiking again. Did, did a lot of that in Idaho growing up, but not really in Milwaukee or California. And then we like going up on Santa Hollow on the razor and the sand dunes and stuff like that. So some new fun adventures here in, in St. George. So you were kind of living the dream for a while, had a wonderful wife and family, mm -hmm. but then life took a big shift. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about what your first reaction was to Mindy's diagnosis and that news? Okay. It was in the uh, fall of uh, 2017. Um, she was starting to get a lot of headaches and stuff. So we went to the doctor and we found out she had uh, brain cancer and it was called CNS lymphoma, which only makes up about two to 3% of the brain cancers. And they said, if you're going to get brain cancer, you know, this is one that we can treat. So we were really optimistic, very hopeful. Uh, it was in the lymphoma family. So honestly, uh, you know, it was difficult. It's difficult to find out that you have cancer, but we were just so full of hope and optimism. We just thought, you know, we're going to, we're going to get through this, you know, we'll get through this. We've gotten through difficult things before we're going to get through this. So, um, that was kind of our initial approach to her, her cancer. Um, her uncle passed away with brain cancer. So it kind of hit close to home with her family. He had a different type of brain cancer. And so, you know, you're just, you're really in shock when you first, you know, find that out. But then, you know, you you have that hope and you think we have to get through this. We're going to get, we're get, get through this. So the initial diagnosis, I think, 
once we got past the, sh the shock of it, I, we were all really optimistic that we were going to be able to get through it. So tell me about the two years while she was undergoing treatment mm -hmm. and how you, you cope through that period, because I know that that completely right. turns your life upside down. Sure. Sure. So when they, we first started, they said, um, we thought it was very rigorous treatments for them. It was just kind of standard. So what we would do is she would go into the hospital on uh, a Wednesday, she would get a chemo treatment and she would be there till about Sunday, um, waiting for all the chemo to pass through her body. And then we would go in the following Wednesday and have an inpatient uh, chemo treatment. And then we would come back the following Wednesday and stay in the hospital for four days. So we were in the hospital, out of the hospital, and just kind of rotated back between those weeks. So it was, it was really difficult, um, but as we went through the treatments and the scans started coming back that the tumors were going away, um, you know, we were once again optimistic that everything was going to, to work out. So we went through all the treatments, it was done, and we thought, wow, that's, we're done. That was great, it was crazy, we got through it, and we're fine. And honestly, I didn't look a whole lot into the cancer. I just, I didn't want to know. I just took the doctor's advice and just said, hey, you know, we're going to get through this. So that's, that's what happened. Um, then in uh, about four months later, she started getting headaches again. And we went back, found out that the cancer was back. So that's when I really started to delve in and see exactly what what is this cancer and, and what does this mean? There was a, a year mark was pretty significant. So if the cancer is in remission for a year um, and it comes back, you have a really good chance that they can treat it again successfully. But if it comes back less than a year, then it puts you in a completely different statistical category of survival, so to speak. So, and it had only been four months for her. So when the cancer came back, um, that's when I really had to think about my faith and what it was that I was going to believe in. Um, I knew that God existed, you know, so it wasn't an issue of my, my testimony. It was just trying to predict what's the outcome going to be. I just kept getting this, you know, prompting her feeling just to have faith in the outcome, have faith in the process and have, have faith in the results. And that, that really helped me through the whole entire process because um, whether or not she was going to live or die, I just, I, it was hard to process. So I just thought I'll just have faith in whatever is going to happen. So after we got through the first uh, round of treatments, we were real optimistic. This was in the past, the thing that we were going to move forward and, and be done with. Um, but you know, unfortunately her headaches started coming back and the cancer came back as well. And that's when the more intense treatments uh, started up. Um, they were going to do a stem cell transplant, which would require her being in the hospital for 30 days. And they really upped all of the chemo. Um, that's when she lost all of her hair. And if you knew my wife, she always had big, beautiful hair. So that was a huge challenge. Um, and so as we went through that process, we still had that hope that we were going to be able to get through it. And, and so those treatments went on for several months and, uh, it was maybe like at the end of September that she was coming out of the hospital. She really wasn't the same, uh, physically. Um, after that, uh, we planned this big family vacation to go celebrate. And just a couple months later, her, sorry, her cancer was back again. And um, this time when the cancer came back, 
then, you know, we just knew that we had done pretty much everything that we could do. And I remember just asking the doctor to repeat back to me over and over. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. What you're saying is my wife is going to die. Yeah, it was really hard to swallow. He must have said it four or five times before it really sunk in. But I still kept just going back to that prompting that I have. I just have to have faith. Just have faith in the outcome. Faith in the process. And uh, so we started some experimental treatments that we had hoped. You know, we always had hope. Maybe this is going to be the miracle thing that, that pulls her through. And... Um, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't um, for our family, so it was it was really difficult um, time. But uh, I mean, all things considered, um, the last few months of her life, we were able to spend a lot of time together as a family. And you know, sometimes people say, "Oh, if you only had two months to live, what would you do?" And it's it's not like that for anyone who's had cancer goes through it. It's not like you take big vacations and celebrate. It was just quiet time at home. Um, we started watching Jeopardy of all shows. We watched Family, The Wheel of Fortune and stuff like that. And we just enjoyed time together as a family um, until she passed away in June. So throughout that period, that very difficult period, I think it's often in our, in our extremity that mm-hmm. we uncover reservoirs of strength, mm-hmm. not from ourselves, but that come from above. Mm-hmm. And recognize unique tender mercies. Mm-hmm. Do you recall any any of those moments where you knew that you were being watched over and, and seeing God's hand through that process? Yeah, I just think we were surrounded by so many people. Um, they were always helping. Um, you know, sometimes people would say, how do you get it all done? And I'm like, I have no idea. It just gets done somehow um we had a lot of family support um my mom would come out and stay her mom would come out and stay her sister um would would stay with us um we had neighbors uh some were actually strangers they were to us they were like our teachers parents you know heard about us and we had never met them and they were bringing us dinner and we had neighbors we hadn't met that had heard about us and that were you know, stopping in to check on us and then um, just hearing other people's experiences as well um, and knowing that they were able to get through it. All of those things, I think, really added strength. We loved our doctors. They were wonderful. The nurses, the the healthcare providers. Um, I think overall, she's been close to 125, 130 nights in the hospital. So we were on a first name basis with a lot of the staff and they knew us and, and we knew them. And, um, you know, we just felt like we were kind of all in it together. So there was a lot of support um, through that whole process that I was always grateful for. So talk to me a little bit more about what you had said, that you had to reevaluate your faith. Mm-hmm. How has that changed your relationship with your Heavenly Father? Um, yeah, I think going back to the faith and the faith and the outcome and the faith in the process, it was really like a moment we realized I'm not in control of my life. Uh, you know, accidents happen. People get cancer. I, I mean, there's so many tragedies that happen all the time, all over the world. And, um, but they always happen to other people, you know, they, they, they don't happen to me. They don't happen to my family. 
So uh, I think having gone through that experience and realizing that Heavenly Father, you know, he's looking out for us. And even though we go through those difficult challenges, I think being able to recognize his, his hand through that process to know that even though I go through something really difficult, I go through something really challenging, he's still there for me to comfort me through it. He didn't abandon me in that time of need. What do you feel like tethered you to your Heavenly Father, to your Savior through that time rather than pulling away? Mm-hmm. What what kept you close? Well, I think um, a lot of it just has to go with maybe some previous life experiences that I'd had in my own individual testimony. Um, I think I see uh, other people, maybe good examples, bad examples, where you see that they go through a difficult trial and maybe they start to make choices in their life that pulls them away. Um, and so for me, um, as I was going through the process and not that there's any sort of silver lining to cancer or anything like that, but there definitely gives you time to think about stuff in advance. How am I going to act? How am I going to react? And, uh, I kind of would joke with people growing up, you know, you have a decision. I'm going to obey the word of wisdom. And the first time someone offers me a drink, this is what I'm going to say. So you have that notion already set up in your head. But you don't ever think through the scenario, if my wife ends up with brain cancer and might die someday, how am I going to react? I mean, that just never crosses your mind. So, um, but when she was diagnosed, I really had to start to think, you know, what happens if she doesn't make it through this? You know, what happens when she does make it through this? How are we going to be different? Or what if we make it through this, but she's not the same because, you know, during the her first surgery, you know, she had a seizure and she lost some of her physical mobility, her mental state and stuff like that, which eventually, you know, came back. But the reality is she could have been altered. So it's a lot of time to think about that. And so I just felt like I've always had a testimony of the church and that if, if I were going to get through it, I would need my heavenly father by my side. I just decided I can't be angry at the person who I want to help me. So I'm going to just try to exercise my faith in him. I really appreciate that example that you deliberately chose faith because I think we're all put in a position at least once in our life where it may appear to some or to ourselves that God isn't there or that he's not helping us because we don't get the outcome that we hope for. Mm And I'm sure the hope was always that Mindy would recover, and that she would be able to continue with you and with your family for a long time, but that wasn't the outcome. And yet through all of that, you still chose God. You chose belief. And oftentimes we, we want to control outcomes um, that unless XYZ happens, I will not choose you or I will not choose to obey your commandments. But I love what you said, that you understood that it was staying close to your Heavenly Father that would bring you through. So now at this point, you've been without Mindy for not quite a year. Have you felt any inklings of Mindy's presence since her passing? And what what role does she continue to play in your life? Yeah, I thought maybe I would feel her right away you know but she was here yesterday and now she's gone you know where is she 
So it took a while. There's one particular incident that uh, stands out in my mind, and I think that's kind of my one big one and that I, I can share. Um, I, I started going to the temple every week when we moved to St. George, and uh, and just to kind of frame it, frame it up, when we first got married, my temple bag was a duffel bag that my grandmother made. It was red and black, my two favorite colors. And it had a lot of sentimental value to me. So, but then people would say, are you going to the gym or are you going to the temple? So after about three years, I decided I'm going to get a, a real temple bag. And I transferred all my stuff into the temple bag. And that's been my temple bag for 20 years, you know. And just on this one particular day that I was in the, in the temple, I was going through and I, I found this, this piece of paper. And it was stamped. August 23rd, 1996. And the day I was at the temple was August 23rd. It was, I was going for our anniversary and there was a Durst Gilling ceiling room five. And I just thought, how many times have I gone through this bag? I, I didn't even know that piece of paper was in there. And to find that piece of paper on that day was just, are really a, a strong feeling like she's she's with me you know I haven't had any experiences like that since then but um, rather than look for those type of experiences to say she is with me you know I just I can hear her voice in my head you know as we were moving to St. George and I was picking out stuff for the house you know I could just kind of hear her this would look good this would not look good um, I wanted to do something really fun for the boys um, so rather than put one flat screen TV in the bonus room, we put a whole bunch of them. And I could think she's probably saying, that's not a good idea. If you don't want the boys playing more video games, you shouldn't put a whole bunch of flat screen TVs. So, but I think she'll forgive me too for that one. Um, and then I think too, just the influence that she had on me as a person. One of her greatest attributes is she was very non-judgmental of people. She was very accepting of everyone. And so she just had a way with people and situations. So I try to think about her, how would she handle this situation, whether it's parenting or just, you know, meeting people that may be different and just being able to accept everyone for who they are. And so through those examples, I feel like she's still with me or part of me, even though I may not feel her, you know, spiritual presence, so to speak, but just her influence on me and the kids and the family in my mind is kind of how she carries on with us. Speaking of your kids, mm -hmm. I know it's hard to speak for them, mm -hmm. but how have they done coping through this and what do you feel like has helped them stay close to her and mm -hmm. to their Heavenly Father through this time? Um, I think there's a, a couple of different things. Um, I, I don't know if this is 100% you know, accurate or not, but it, some people may agree or not agree, but I felt as a parent, you know, as as they would probably go how I go. So if if I laid in bed all day and I was depressed and I told them how miserable our life is and when they're struggling in school, I say it's because your mom died and I emphasize that it would probably make things worse. And so we kind of made the decision. I'm going to try to be the best example that I can. We'll be positive. We'll be happy. You know, remember our mom. Our daughter likes to have mom moments where we talk about her at night. Not every night, but sometimes she wants to talk about it. And so we talk about it. 
but to try not to dwell on the negative, but, you know, dwell on the positive and, you know, think of how proud your mom would be or stuff like that, I think is, has really helped them through this process. Well, I think you're absolutely right. How you respond to this challenge will really color their own experience and I think be a blueprint for them for how they may choose to respond to difficulties in their life. I know that in watching my own parents suffer and struggle, as I often say, it was a gift in an ugly package that while I would never wish the same situation on any other family, going through addiction is really hard for a family. But what I've learned as a result of watching their faith their grit mm-hmm. and their commitment to each other and to God I can't tell you what that's done for my testimony so I know in watching you that your children are blessed I think that's a good reminder for us as parents that we want to set the kind of example that we hope our children will follow after but now you're faced with this challenge of being a single father and I would guess there's a level of stress and uncertainty that comes with being a young widower. But something that I've come to appreciate and understand more in my adult life is the is the suckering enabling power made available through that atoning sacrifice. So again, you've already spoken to this to some degree, but how have you felt that suckering enabling power since your wife's passing? How how is that helping you move forward with faith? Sure. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, when we were going through the process, how many people were around and helping, um, you know, we moved to St. George right after she passed away. And so one of the reasons I moved here is my brother lives here. And so I really feel that a lot of our prayers are answered through other people. And so I feel blessed to have my brother so close by because it provided instant family for me. It provided, you know, familiarity. It provided someone who kind of knew my story. And so, you know, moving here, it was like a fresh start for all of us, which was good. We didn't have to live with the pain that we had in Wisconsin. But on the flip side, nobody knows us. They they don't know our story. They just assume, you know, when I was picking out stuff for the house, people would say, your wife is going to love this or why isn't your wife here helping you pick this out? She must really trust you, you know? And it was just like, yeah, you just really don't know my story. I wouldn't make them feel bad. I would just kind of nod my head and say, thank you. But, um, so I think a lot of the suckering has been from the people that I have met. Um, I didn't realize there was a widower's group. Um, so they had a conference here in St. George. I, I did not want to go because I just didn't want to admit that I was that, in that state of life, but I forced myself to go and it was wonderful. I mean, I met, I don't know how many people were there, but I saw there were a lot of people in the exact same situation that I am. And some of them had widows for years. Some of them had been widows less time than I had. Um, and they all seemed to be wanting to be better, get better. And it gave me hope, Hey, you're doing it. I can do it. So, um, I think, just meeting a lot of the people here in St. George and other friends that I've met that have been a huge support to me has been uh, a, a true blessing. That's that's what's helped me. So you've talked already a lot about the lessons learned through mm-hmm. this hard thing. Are there any other lessons that you'd like to share that 
that have come during this time? Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that I've learned through this is empathy. Um, I felt like I was an empathetic person before, but if I really looked at it, I always thought my life is going good, your life is going good, everybody's life is going good. And if something you know rough happened to someone, you know, you said, yeah, I'm sorry that that happened, but you know, it was just kind of that you, you didn't really feel, you know, their, their pain as much. Um, but having gone through this, something that's significant, you know, in the depths of the sorrow that you feel, I think has given me just a different perspective that people go through really, really hard things, you know, and they, they come out of it. And I think as I've been able to share my story and as other people have shared their stories with me, um, I'm just, I'm blown away at some of the challenges other people have overcome. And I've tried to adopt this sort of thought process that um, different doesn't mean more or less difficult. They're just different. So the trial that you have, just because it's different than my trial, doesn't mean mine was more difficult than yours or that yours was more difficult than mine. They're just different trials. And that's given me a good perspective to have empathy for people who are going through other trials that are also significant that aren't the same as mine. Um, but I can still feel sorrow and empathy for those people that I probably couldn't have felt before. I just think that's one of the difficult challenges of, of life is that there are just some things you can't learn, you won't learn unless you go through them. And, you know, one of the things I talked to my kids about as we were going through this, and it was sort of that different, doesn't mean more or less difficult. And I would say, you know, we would kind of list through some challenges that other people had gone through. And they say, well, those were their challenges. This is our family's, you know, challenge that we have to get through. So um, I, I feel that we're a lot closer as a family, um, for sure, because now we're, we've relied on each other so much. And I don't think you can go through an experience like this and not be different and not really change the way you look at things, change the way you look at people, change the way you look at life. Um, and so, so yeah, I think all things considered, um, even though I, I would never wish it upon anyone, um, I think it's the thing that our families had to go through. And I, I still feel like I'm at the beginning of the journey. I, I don't feel like I have all the answers or know everything. But um, we're just trying our best to continue to exercise faith in whatever the future is going to be because there's still a lot of uncertainty as far as the future goes. I've mentioned this in a previous episode, but there's a, a point in the Book of Mormon where it talks about how the, the Nephites had come out of this really lengthy period of war mm -hmm. again. Right. <laughs> um, but that for some it had softened them. The mm -hmm. experience had drawn them closer to the Lord. And for others, it had hardened them. And I think it kind of goes back to that that concept of, of choice, of agency, mm -hmm. that will we'll we go through this life and, and allow ourselves to be softened, to be taught, to be tutored by our trials? Or will we turn away and be hardened? So I, I love to see examples like yours of those who have been softened who have allowed yourself to be put in the hands of the Lord to be molded mm -hmm. and not become angry and resentful because it's that's a human a reaction I think when we are being twisted and pulled apart and because it's really painful 
But I think the blessings that come to us as we're willing to just put our lives in the hands of God and say, okay, mm-hmm. make of me what you want to. Sure. Yeah, in fact, um, we've been much more diligent with the come follow me. And it it seems like every lesson is on that topic. Like, you know, you're talking about Laman and Lemuel. You say, look, they have the same experience that Nephi did. How did they turn out? You know, and then you just keep going through example after example. And it's one of those moments where you feel like, is everything in the Book of Mormon written just for us? You know, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, they're, they're great, great stories in the scriptures that relate those points. So after all this, Carl... And this has been an emotional interview. Again, I appreciate your your willingness to share something so tender. Why are you still rowing and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and his restored church? Um, I think for me, the gospel in its simplest form makes sense to me. Um, I, you know, if you think, is there evidences that there's a supreme being that exists? You know, yes. You know, who is he? Is he's God? So then what does that mean to me? Like, who is, who is this? And so that's why I love the title Heavenly Father because it, it, it describes that relationship that we have with him. And so he wants us to be happy. He wants us to be successful. Um, but he knows life is going to be difficult. And so I think, well, how do I know what Heavenly Father wants for me? He has prophets, you know, and I, I look forward to listening to General Conference and, and hearing the words of comfort and wisdom and advice from the apostles and prophets. And so for me, it just it makes sense. And, um, you know, there was kind of a turning point after she passed away. I was probably like three months or so. And I, that's why I like I was thinking of the name of your podcast, Still Rowing. And so I just remember I got up and, you know, I was feeling sorry for myself and, you know, woe is me and this is my life and I can't believe it. And I just remember looking in the mirror and I was like, you know what, this is my life. Just, I have to accept this, you know, get the oars back in the water and start rowing again. And so it was liberating in in a way to make that decision to say, you know what, I have to accept this life. I have to own this life this is it. Let's start making the best of it. And, um, yeah, it took time to get to that point, but I'm glad that I was able to get to that point. And so for me, I think if all of these things gave me peace, comfort, and happiness before, why won't it do it again? You know? And so I've just continued to follow that pattern and exercise my faith. And I I know I, I am happy right now. I, I'm happy. I'm happy that we live here. I feel like our kids are happy. I mean, of course, we're sad and we miss my wife and their their mother, but we're doing well, you know, and I think it's all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, thank you again, Carl. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.